Vint is the first fully transparent wine investment platform genuinely accessible to everyone. For less than $100, you can own SEC-qualified shares of the best wines in the world. The Vint Wine Investment Podcast offers up-to-date information on the world of wine and investing, as well as current perspectives on our collections and the wine markets in general. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Vint Wine Investment Podcast. My name is Billy Galenko, and I'm the head of wine here at Vint. We have a great episode for you today with um, an exciting sellout of Vint First and a new segment that I'm going to be starting, something interesting I have drank recently. Um, In that segment, I'll basically go over a wine or wines that I've recently had that I thought were really interesting, noteworthy, and worthy to share with you all. Uh, So let's jump right in. First, of course, the big news of the day is uh, our Japanese whiskey collection sold out very quickly. Um, This was really exciting. It was our largest collection by value at over $180,000 and was our third whiskey collection. And it shows um, the Vint community is almost as excited about whiskey as it is about wine. Um, There's a couple cool figures that I wanted to share with you all. So there was a total of 206 investors um, in this collection, which is really exciting, with an average investment of $822. Um, that's just an exciting news. So basically, you can kind of see that when you're investing in these mini collections, you're really you know, part of a, a great group that's passionate about these, these assets or really just interested in, in the opportunities that they potentially offer. So um, again, that was a really exciting collection with all 36 bottles from the 36 views of Mount Fuji Kurosawa producer. Um, yeah, that collection of the 36 views of Mount Fuji was just so unique and um, definitely not easy to put together. So we're really looking forward to, um, you know, offering more collections like that, offering additional whiskey opportunities, as well as interesting collections of, of wine as well. Next, we want to touch on a Vint First. Uh, we had our first in-person wine event uh, this week. Very exciting in Richmond, Virginia, the uh, birthplace of Vint. Um, we had a invite-only tasting. Um, we're really basically getting these events off the ground, doing some testing with smaller groups before rolling them out and offering them for more of our community. Uh, this was a tasting led by Robert Jones, a master sommelier in Virginia, um, a friend of Vint. Uh, it was very exciting. A bunch of the team got to go and taste good wines with close members of the community. Um, like I was kind of hinting there, this is the first of many. We have a number of small events and larger events planned for this year. Um, if you would like to have an event or would like to connect in your area, definitely drop us a line. We're happy to coordinate. Uh, we're still planning out the full schedule for the year, so definitely some flexibility there. But the goal of these events is really, one, education, giving everybody the opportunity to learn as much about wine as possible. Um, I would say the second is uh, adding that taste, that interaction component, the tasting component to our collections. We know that you know, as a financial vehicle and as securities, you're not necessarily getting to taste the wines. So uh, we want to give you guys the opportunity to be able to taste wines from the regions. Next is a segment that I'm really excited about. It basically is going to be a segment where I talk about something that's interesting that I have tasted recently. Um, it can be wine or a spirit. Um, it can be mainstream or a, an obscure varietal. 
Um, so yeah, it's basically like I spend a lot of my time, as you may expect, um, tasting different wines from around the world and exploring um, different expressions. And I want to share that with you. So what really kind of brought this to mind this week was a wine I had up in Santa Barbara um, where I was up for this holiday weekend. Um, I was at a vineyard called Rusak Vineyards um, up in Santa Barbara and Ballard Canyon. Um, I'm a big Ballard Canyon fan because of Ballard Canyon Syrah. Um, they make amazing Syrahs. It's on the further what eastern side of Santa Barbara, kind of away from where you would grow the cool Pinots and Chardonnays. As you go further east, um, it gets hotter. So that is why they're able to ripen red grapes like Syrah. But I don't want to talk about the Syrah today, although it is very good and I highly recommend you check it out. Um, what I want to talk about is their wines from their Santa Catalina Island vineyard, uh, specifically the Chardonnay, but they grow Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Zinfandel on this island. Now, those of you that don't know, uh, Catalina Island is a is part of this chain off the coast of Los Angeles and up to Santa Barbara called the Channel Islands. It is also the name of the current Mac OS operating system, and the island that is the default background when you start your computer is Catalina Island. So there you go. It is also very visible from the coast in LA and up and down even Orange County. And what's interesting about it is it's in the middle of this Pacific Ocean, which is really cool, is that very much windswept. And it's been mostly a national or local park. It's been basically not allowed for commercial use for many years. Uh, the family, the Rusak family, had some early holdings on the islands and planted a vineyard, which they were able to grandfather in and still use today. So first, I had a taste of the wines. They were very interesting. It was very interesting to compare them to Santa Barbara wines and wines made um, uh, throughout the area in California here. But when I tasted the Chardonnay, I was, I was kind of blown away because typically in California, you get a riper expression of Chardonnay, um, more bright fruits. Uh, it goes more of that riper apple and pear, balance that with some oak. And there's, it's really a balance of, you know, acid, ripe fruit and oak. Um, but this expression was, was very interesting because it reminded me more of an old world expression, more of almost a Chablis, actually. Um, the fruit was a little less ripe. The alcohol, it's a little over 12. The fruit was a little bit more like green apple, um, slightly unripe pear, um, almost with like a little bit of a citrus component. And there is this amazing minerality and like depth. Uh, it's almost some salinity from the um, sea, sea breezes that are blowing on, but this really almost gravelly minerality that really reminded me of Chablis. And then there is a beautiful touch of oak on top. So when I found myself drinking this, my mind went more towards a, a Premier Cru or Grand Cru Chablis that sees a little bit of oak rather than a California Chardonnay. And I was able to taste this right next to um, a Chardonnay from Bien Nacido, which is a really well-known vineyard up in um, Santa Barbara, which is known for being cool. And even comparing the two, um, you could really see that the Catalina Island one had was a little bit leaner, a little bit less ripe, and a little bit more um, had that minerality um, compared to a normal Santa Barbara Chardonnay or especially a, a further north Chardonnay from California. So that was that was really exciting. And something that I wanted to have people think about is what goes into the final cost of a bottle of wine. Now, this wine is not cheap by any means. Um, I believe it was $70. I'll have to check. But 
Um, I, I bought a bottle and brought it home because it was just that unique and that special. But when you think about what goes into the cost of a bottle, there's a bunch of different elements. And something that people don't really think about that much is the cost of harvest and getting the fruit simply from the vineyards to the winery. Uh, many wineries um, around the world buy fruit from growers who simply just grow fruit and that's their main job. But estate vineyards and the ones that you're very familiar with, you know, obviously grow the fruit and then use it in their own wines. And that's something that Rusek does, growing it on Catalina. But what's interesting is they're growing it very far from their base winery and it's on an island that's only accessible by ferry and plane. So what they're telling me is, and I find this fascinating, is when the grapes are ripe, they're constantly monitoring them. They'll f- actually fly in pickers and pick it all in one day. So they'll fly pickers in from Santa Barbara, fly them over to Catalina, pick all the fruit, and then put the fruit in a plane, fly it back to Santa Barbara, and then vinify it there. Um, to me, that is amazing. Um, that's That adds a lot of cost to the whole process. I mean, they're not picking with machines. They're picking by hand. Um, and it's just really interesting to think about like that as a driving components when you see $70 price point you're like hmm that's a little pricey but when you think this wine started its life by literally being handpicked by pickers flown to an island and then the fruit flown back to the winery um you know you it almost you think about it as a little bit more of a, a deal it's still pricey by some people's um, standards but it's still um you know the, the value is really there so it's interesting as we continue to explore wines from uh, famous producers around the world just going and thinking about something we want to always emphasize is that terroir, just understanding what goes into picking these wines, what goes into actually acquiring the fruit and bringing the fruit to the winery. Um, another example is our our Rhone collection that's um, still alive right now. Some of those vineyards in Cote Roti are on such steep slopes that, you know, the time and effort it takes to harvest those grapes simply uh, alone goes into adding value to those wines and the ultimate cost. Um, so it's just something to think about. Um, I think we're going to continue to really dive in here on this type of, you know, what goes into the cost of a bottle, what makes these investment grade wines so interesting and expensive. Um, and yeah, so I'm happy to share this little tidbit with you. I found it fascinating um, the more I learned about it. And we'll continue this segment in the weeks to come. Hey, everybody. This is Nick King, co-founder and CEO at Vint. Topic of the day is going to be events. Um, it's something that we've talked about a lot. And we actually executed our first official event this week. So first, I want to say a big shout out to Brady, um, who does investor relations for Vint. He put together a an incredible event here in Richmond and really um, exceeded expectations, both internally and with our guests. Um, so the event, we had a wine bar that we rented out and had a master Sam who operates the the wine bar give an educational presentation around the Piemonte wines in the region of our next which is our next collection so we tasted wines from the different vintages in that collection we learned about the region we learned about what made these 
different vintages, um, uh, different from each other. And it was all around a, a really, really good event. And it, it ties directly back to one thing that we think is really important, and that's education. Um, the wine industry has typically been um, very, very exclusive, um, whether it's investing in it, whether it's trying to learn about it. Um, there um, are these barriers to entry to to do any of that. So making this education piece um, more accessible, something that we do with our um, one pagers, blog posts, and now this was uh, kind of a deep dive um, into into education. So we we are going to continue to do these educational events. Um, and you know we we put this event on for a reason. We think it can be a, a really interesting part of our customer acquisition strategy. And we're testing a lot of things, whether it's event size, um, who we have attending. Um, we want to try and find a sweet spot. And the time will tell if, if events are scalable. But right now, I think doing things that don't scale, um, you know, that's that's kind of our mantra. Um, so yeah, it was, it was all around. Great. We're going to track and see, um, Hey, did the people who we, um, invited invest more in future collections? Did they more actively participate in our referral program, which has been really strong? Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to gaining some of those insights from this event. So we, intend to do more going forward, um, some larger, some smaller, um, in different cities. So I know DC is on the list. We've heard, um, Denver, California, Cleveland, um, different, different areas where we could have smaller or medium to large events. So if you have a, uh, a city where you think event event would be, um, worthwhile. We're, we're really open to hearing anybody's thoughts and please reach out to me or anybody on our team. So, um, yeah, thank you. For questions, comments, or feedback on the Vint Wine Investment Podcast, please email us at support at vint.co. To check out our current offerings and to sign up for the Vint platform, find us at www.vint.co. That's www.vint.co. Vint and VV Markets are offering securities pursuant to Regulation A. Our offering circular as amended can be found on the SEC website. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments such as those on the Vint platform are speculative and involve substantial risk to consider before investing. We may provide communication that may contain certain forward-looking statements that are subject to various risks and uncertainties. Information provided in any communications is not legal, business, or tax advice. All prospective investors should consult a legal, tax, or business advisor concerning the subject matter of any communications and any offering.